0: We are back on the Trojan Talk podcast. You are back, I am back. I am Ryan Young, publisher of trojansports.com. And as we do every week, almost every week, pretty much every week, we are back to cover the storylines of the week and to preview the matchup, a very pivotal matchup between number 18, USC, and number 14, Utah. We do not have Max Brown this week. He'll be back with us next week, our trusty TrojanSports.com analyst. Uh, We're mixing it up today. We have two guests and three segments. How does that add up mathematically? Two guests, three segments without me doing a one-man show? Well, I'm going to tell you. We're going to kick things off with my good friend Brady McCullough from the Los Angeles Times to give his blend of USC perspective with national college football perspective. And he had a column after the Trojans lost at Notre Dame last Saturday and kind of talking about maybe this is a longer rebuild than USC fans expected. I wanted to discuss his column. I wanted to get his thoughts on what we should really take away from that 48-20 loss in South Bend. Where things stand in the Pac-12 race and and, and USC's chances at this point. Where things stand in the Heisman race with Caleb Williams. Where USC is going to stand next year when it dives headfirst into the Big Ten without Caleb Williams. We had a good discussion on all those topics. I think you'll enjoy that. And then we'll get into the matchup this week versus the Utes with Alex Markham, publisher of Ute Nation on our Rivals Network. Good friend of mine, Always a good conversation. He and I have a good rapport. We enjoy going back and forth. I always look forward to this week and connecting with him about the teams, about the game. And he is on for two different segments. So that is the answer to your riddle about how that all works out. I went on his show on Wednesday talking largely about the USC side of things, and we had a really good discussion. Went for more than a half hour, and I wanted to include that here because... He covered a lot of good stuff that we didn't talk about when he came on this show and taped the segment Thursday, talking largely about the Utah side of the matchup, the Utes quarterback situation, their defense, all the stuff you'd want to know more about before these teams take the field Saturday. So you're going to hear Brady McCullough. Then you're going to hear the second conversation I have with Alex Markham talking about the Utah stuff. Then, you'll hear the first conversation, which is going to go second, but actually third, if you're keeping track here. After my interview with Alex talking about Utah, I will play my segment on his podcast talking about USC. I will not break it up with another intro, they will just run back to back. I think I've uh, belabored the point enough by now that you will know what's happening when it does. Before we get... Into the segments, though, just a real quick commentary. Well, a couple commentaries. One, and we're going to discuss this more at length, I think, with both guests, but I get the intensity of reaction to that 48-20 loss in South Bend. It was bad. It was revealing. It was startling, even for those who had seen the cracks in the armor uh, build over recent weeks and and knew that there was going to be some kind of reckoning coming for USC. No one expected that. I mean, you you can't, you can't expect that. You can't expect Caleb Williams, a guy who threw four and five interceptions respectively in his first two seasons, only one multi-interception game in that, in that time, only one pick through the first six games this year. You can't expect him to throw three interceptions in the first half And for all of them to be really bad decisions, which is just so out of character for him. So you can't expect that. Obviously, there was the 99-yard kickoff return. There was the scoop and score touchdown for Notre Dame's defense. Everything went bad. And there will be a lot of overreaction to what happened. Also, some very fair reaction. And we'll discuss the offensive line situation. I have real concerns there. I have concerns... I have a lot of confidence in Josh Henson as a developer of talent, just based on what I've heard from USC's linemen over the last two years, from their parents, from recruits who feel so strongly about him that he's the main reason they choose USC, and about what we saw last year. So I have a lot of confidence in Josh Henson, but it doesn't always mean that a position coach can solve all the issues. And what concerns me about the O-line, which gave up six sacks against Notre Dame, and you could have told me it was a dozen, and I would have believed you because Caleb was under pressure all night long. In fact, I would attribute two of those picks probably to the pressure he faced, and uh, he was under pressure for all of them. What concerns me is that we're seven games in. Not only are we seven games in, We're smack dab in the middle of a stretch of nine straight games with no break. Not only are we in the stretch of nine straight games with no break, the degree of difficulty in those matchups is kind of mounting as we go along, for the most part. So the toughest games are happening. The unit is probably feeling the toll of the season to a degree, and it's getting worse. How do you turn that around on the fly this late in the season, I'll give Henson credit. He's always a great interview. We talked to him on Wednesday after practice, and he was very candid. I asked him that very question, and his response was, "I don't know." He goes, "I I've been in this situation before. I've had a unit struggling, and I was confident we were just about to turn the corner, and it was just, it was it was coming together, and it was gonna it was gonna happen, and it just never did. And then I've had units that were struggling, and I thought." There's no way out of this. And then they suddenly got it together and played much better. So he goes over my 23 years. That tells me that I really can't predict what's going to happen. Which was a very refreshing answer. Not overly assuaging if you're a USC fan. But that's the reality. So the O-line is uh, is a very fair reaction to what happened Saturday. I'm not, obviously not worried about Caleb Williams. I'm just not. People have been picking apart this game this year, which is going to happen when you reach the stature and status he did last year. If he was playing exactly the way he's playing now last year, we wouldn't have heard any of these critiques or criticisms about his game because he's still arguably the best quarterback in college football. The defense played better last week. That's a positive if you want to take it. And... I think everyone's in wait-and-see mode to see how they follow it up and if it sustains and if there were real changes and progress made. We covered on TrojanSports.com, our Tajwar Khanikar did his his film review and detailed breakdown of his 10 biggest takeaways, and he saw some schematic adjustments that he was really encouraged by. You can read more about that in his piece on our site. The overreaction has been this changing opinions toward Lincoln Riley and, and, and the doubts and USC fans really lit him in, all of that Oklahoma angst and everything that Sooners fans said about him on the way out the door, not so much while he was there, but on the way out the door, that he couldn't build a defense and that his teams aren't tough enough. And I, I think a lot of USC fans have, <clears throat> and all of a sudden you hear that coming from the USC fans. You, you hear, is Lincoln Riley the right guy? get USC to the top I mean it's hard to say it's it's hard to say if, if he will get USC to a national championship certainly can't stand here and and say he will or or he won't, but to question that higher a year and a half in when it's exceeded every reasonable expectation, I mean this team is seventeen and four since he took over. He inherited a 4-8 disaster, had a total roster rebuild for the most part. Probably shouldn't have been anywhere near the top 10 or CFP talk in year one, and they were very legitimately right there. And if if Caleb Williams' hamstring doesn't go out in the Pac-12 title game, who knows? They've been a top 10 team this year until this past week. In terms of the rankings, not saying the eye test, just in terms of the rankings. I don't think there was a hire they could have made otherwise that would have had them in those positions. So just let's chill on the fire Lincoln Riley threads that have popped up on message boards. Goodness gracious, Uh, including ours, of course. Let's let's chill on on the on the. Big picture panic about, oh my God, are they doomed to a fixed ceiling as long as he's here? The guy's one of the best coaches in college football. He accomplished more at a young age than most of his peers in this game. Uh, It's very possible that he's still evolving and growing as a head coach and manager of a program. This is just year seven for him and really year two of building something from scratch. So... Maybe just a little time, a little patience, and a little perspective on what's actually happened the last two years relative to what anyone could have hoped for. So a little bit of overreaction, I think, in that regard. Does that mean that it's going to be all great and positive uh, moving forward? I don't know. I have definite questions about next season in the Big Ten without Caleb Williams with an offensive line that you're having to replace multiple parts from that wasn't all that great already a very very tough schedule next year when you add in the non-conference clash with LSU again the fighting Irish obviously with the annual rivalry game plus a big 10 slate loaded with some pretty heavy weight matchups so yeah I mean there's questions there's questions But what team doesn't have questions? What program doesn't have questions? Everyone chill out. My final point before we get into the show, also dealing with overreaction. And man, do I regret, do I regret posting clips from interviews after practice Wednesday. The hostility that is directed toward Caleb Williams from his critics is so over the top and so unfortunate and just kind of disturbing, honestly. I posted two clips from Caleb's interview Wednesday. The first was him. He was asked about the interaction on the field after the game Saturday where a Notre Dame fan ran up to him and was, and was videoing the encounter and kind of get, getting at him a little bit. And he had, I thought it was an entertaining response. So I posted the clip. As I do every practice, post the most interesting quotes and responses. Well, it's it's gone beyond viral, and most of the responses are very critical and just so over the top. He gave an honest answer to a question. All all we ever want from these guys is for them to give interesting responses and to, to speak like a person and not a robot. And he did. And it was a fine answer. It was a little, a little edgy. He said, "Lions, don't worry about the opinions of sheep. That's fine. It's not even a, all that, original of a quote. It's, you've heard that elsewhere. But the, poof, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, ugly place, ugly place. And then I posted a clip about him talking about bouncing back from throwing three picks last week. How's he bounced back from his worst game? And." People teed off on that, and because he said it was the the first bad game he's played in college. I mean, it's the first truly really bad game he's played in college. I think you know he struggled as a freshman in Oklahoma against Baylor. I think Iowa State, maybe it was, but I, I mean, do you call those bad games or average games? He didn't have a bad game last year. I mean, he struggled against Oregon State, and then, and then through one of the best passes of the season for the game-winning touchdown he was amazing in the first loss to Utah and he played through injury in the second loss so I think it was a fair comment that was his first bad game last week but fans just teed off on that and his lack of humility and his ego and this and that come on people lighten up don't be so sensitive I mean my goodness if that innocuous comment Sets you into a, a tailspin. That says more about you than it does about Caleb Williams. Honestly, I just regret posting those clips because I had no idea where it was going to start. Let me gun shy to post anything else, he says, the rest of the year. Because I don't want to provide a forum for the Twitter crazies to unleash their, their personal issues. Yeah, anyways, overreactions. All right, let's get into the show. I like all of our segments coming up. I think you will, too. Let's do it. All right, back on the podcast. Frequent guest of the podcast, the Los Angeles Times, Brady McCullough. Brady, thank you for your time. How you doing?
1: Hey, doing good, Rhino. Um, always great to be on with you. It,
0: it is always great to have you on the show. I agree. <laughs> you had a column Los Angeles Times titled USC Fans Better Get Ready for a Lengthy Lincoln Riley Rebuilding Project kind of summarize for us your takeaway from watching what happened last Saturday in South Bend
1: yeah yeah no and I I don't want to make everybody relive it again I I assume most Trojans have kind of done what we all do when when our team loses a big game and and you, you know over three or four days you you make your peace with it, and you get excited for the next one. So I won't, I won't go too in depth. But I just think what what my takeaway in watching it was, you know, the way that they were beaten on the line of scrimmage, um, and particularly um, the way that their wide receivers seemingly struggled to get open. You know, I just saw some potential that that hey this. This was supposed to be this. We had kind of all bought into this being a quick fix and that, you know, Lincoln had turned the roster last year, you know, given gotten the team to seven more wins and they had the week year before Caleb's coming back round two in the portal to, to clean up any, any uh, areas of concern. And, and this team was going to take it to the next level and potentially, you know, make a college football playoff this year. And basically have done most of it through the transfer portal. And I think what I saw the other night was, I don't think that this is a quick fix. And uh, to be able to be beaten that bad against a team that that is a a pretty good Notre Dame team, but but not much more than that, it sounded off some alarms for me, but not an alarm that Lincoln Riley can't get this done and can't get USC back to elite level football, but just that this this is more of a rebuild than I think a lot of people wanted to believe.
0: Let's start with your last point there about uh, this doesn't mean that Lincoln Riley can't do it. I've been surprised this week with the changing sentiment towards Lincoln Riley. You never know what percentage of the fan base is the vocal percentage. Uh, All you hear are are the vocal fans. But there was a lot of chatter on our board kind of suddenly questioning, did USC hire the right guy? Is, Is he the right man for the job? What do you make of the reaction that's kind of come... Uh, in that regard toward Lincoln Riley and, and kind of these fresh doubts about this guy that was, was the savior just uh, a little bit ago.
1: It is shocking um, how much you hear, but you're right. How, how much is what you're hearing or reading on social media representative of the, the average Trojan fan? I, I can't imagine that it is. But, but we do live in, as you hear people say, this, this instant gratification society, and, and a lot of that plays through in sports, and Lincoln Riley was was selling that early, and it was working, and we were getting that instant gratification, and that, that jolt of, of, my team can do it, my team's competitive again, like, you know, maybe this is the year we you know make the playoff again, and oh, it's only been a year and a half, but... You know, we're 6-0 and again, and then it all just comes crashing down in such just obvious fashion on Saturday night. You know, wow, you know and, and it's particularly if you think about the game before it against Arizona, it really made you wonder, okay, is this, is this what's being built being built on a really sturdy foundation, or was this like a get-rich-quick scheme that, that's falling apart right before our eyes? And I get why people are concerned. I mean, that's why I wrote the column there. There is reason to be concerned, but I don't think that it's about Riley's long-term ability. Yeah, but the reality is he took over Bob Stoops. You know, the program wasn't just humming when Lincoln Riley took it over, but they'd made a playoff uh, under Stoops. And, 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 but Riley takes over this machine and this, this culture that's been built over, you know, nearly 20 years at that point. And he keeps it going. He adds his own flavor to it, but it wasn't a rebuild. And I think this job is more of a rebuild. But I, I always thought one of the reasons Lincoln this job appealed to him was a chance to do something on his own, to build something that is his, and not people saying, "Oh, well, he just he was born on third base. He just took you know what what Bob Stoops built." So if that's the case, if I'm right on that well, then Lincoln Riley shouldn't be afraid or deterred by the fact that, hey, maybe this isn't just going to be flipped over overnight in the transfer portal, but it's something that he can build through his beliefs and his culture over time. The question is, are USC fans, USC donors, patient enough for that, and does Lincoln Riley really want to do that?
0: Good questions. I have to imagine, like you said, that most of the fans probably are – do have that patience and that belief and and since i introduced the thought I, I should be clear on my own stance here that i think it's absolutely silly that people are are kind of uh not jumping off the ship but looking toward the the life rafts and, and wondering if they're heading in the right direction i mean just flash back to any point of the clay helton uh era and how despondent and hopeless the fans felt and just keep that perspective at all times because I mean, they've been a top 10 team at times here each of the last two years, a legit playoff contender at times during the stretch. It's been a pretty fun run uh, with a few hiccups along the way, and that alone should be enough to, to buy the time needed to get to the next stage. That said, the Big Ten is coming next year. I wanted to have you on because not only do you have USC perspective, you have Big Ten perspective. You are a Michigan Alum, you are a a proud Michigan alum. You you know the Big Ten inside out. Where do you, where do you think Caleb Williams' C team next year stacks in the hierarchy of of the Big Ten?
1: Well, it's good that you're asking me this today, and you know, being a, a Michigan alum, I can tell you I've, I've already stolen the signs, so I know what's going to happen in the future. So I've already <laughs> I've already got this question scouted out as as my my. My alma mater you know that's what's apparently what we're into these days um <laughs> that's what i hear but um yeah that's that's a topic for another day i've, I've definitely got some theories on on where that's coming from but um yeah i, I think that 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 aspect of it is does does make me a, a little more concerned than i would be otherwise about the direction of the way that the program's being built here um Because I think in the Pac-12, if the Pac-12 had stayed, I think that his roster construction and the way he's building it, it probably is not as big of a problem overall as I think it might be in the Big Ten. When you look at the Big Ten teams, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, these programs have not been built through the portal. They have built it mostly through high school recruiting And they have supplemented in key spots with the portal, and I think that there's a culture there in the Midwest, in the Big Ten, Michigan, all those those powers that they're not. These are not their culture is ingrained three four years with the players that end up on the field, particularly along the offensive line, where Michigan's won two straight Joe Moore awards, um, where Ohio State. It's always been strong up front. That's where I see the issue for USC. If you are building your roster routinely through, you know, just tossing in talents that attract you from the portal, trying to hope they mesh in one offseason and throwing them out there against Big Ten teams that have actually been built in the traditional fashion where culture is everything and the work that they put in for those schools is, is two, three years deep. How does USC translate if USC isn't also building that same culture over two to three, three or four years with their players who end up on that field? I just think there's, there's a difference there. And that, that's even not even talking about just the, the strength and the way that those programs are built, the brawn of it. I mean, that's not made up. That's the way these teams play in the Midwest. That's the way they're built. It is not the way USC has been built in the last few years in this tough stretch with Helton and leading into this with Lincoln. I think that there will be an
0: adjustment there, and I think that people should prepare for that. So, do you put them middle of the pack in the Big Ten next year? Do you put them upper upper third? Where do you slide them in? Well, you know, we got to see who Lincoln
1: brings in from the portal, I guess. I mean, that's kind of what you do every year, and Fair. I'm expecting. I'm expecting him to bring in another very talented quarterback from the transfer portal to compete with Miller Moss and Malachi Nelson, um, and bridge this gap before you know Julian Lewis. You know, possibly comes to campus. Uh, you know, maybe a year early. But I think we're going to see a, a, a big quarterback competition, and from a, including a guy we don't know about yet. But as far as the offensive line and defensive line. I just think they, they've got to find a way to build more continuity there year over year. Um, but yeah, without Caleb Williams, I mean, we saw what they looked like Saturday night when Caleb Williams didn't play. He, he barely played on Saturday night and they got crushed. So, um, I, I would put them toward the the higher end, just off the top of my head, off the higher end of the middle of the pack, of pack 18 teams. Um, but, I, you know, it's it's too early to say specifically next season, but but I, but I wouldn't put them at the top
0: of the Big Ten entering next year. No, no, no. It's never too early. You're, you're the expert. We're going to hold you to that prediction. <laughs> I'll remind you about it all, all next season if you're wrong. That's the way it works. <laughs> also, only a, a very proud alum knows who won the Joe Moore Award the last two years. <laughs> you don't think USC fans would know that their offensive line had won the... The Joe Moore Award. If, if USC had won the Joe Moore Award, USC fans would know, but no one else would. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's let's bring it back to the Pac-12. Lincoln Riley made clear after the game Saturday, USC is still undefeated in the conference. They're four and zero, so that loss didn't. It may have made a major dent in their in their playoff hopes, and and Caleb Williams Heisman push, but it didn't dent their Pac-12 hopes. Uh, at least tangibly, maybe intangibly. How do you size up the race now? Obviously, we saw a great game with Washington and Oregon with the Huskies prevailing in dramatic fashion over the Ducks, The kind of the leg up there in the first major Pac-12 showdown. How do you handicap USC's chances, and then how do you kind of rank those top contenders in the conference?
1: You know, I still think they've got a shot, a real, a real good shot, at potentially making the Pac-12 championship game. You know, I think one big thing and you got all these USC fans who suddenly are, you know, jumping off the bandwagon or near that. Well, you better just fake it until you make it and get out there and buy up the tickets to the Coliseum and make sure that the Coliseum is actually a place that makes a ton of noise and is an advantage because USC has the advantage of playing Utah, Washington and UCLA at home. You know, when is the last time we felt like the Collie was a major, major home field advantage? Well, yeah. why don't you just stop whining and get out there and make sure you and all your buddies from your, your time at USC or growing up shooting, rooting for USC are at those games making noise and making a tough place to play? Because that can actually matter in college football a lot. And they could beat Washington. Of course they could beat Washington. They could beat them on a neutral field if they're playing really well. They could certainly beat them at home if they have a real, real, you know, loud, excited atmosphere that gives them a boost. So I put some of it on, you know, can can USC produce that kind of home field advantage, a type that people think doesn't exist out here in the West Coast, aside from, you know, Husky Stadium or, or Altson Stadium. So, so that's one thing that, that people can, can think about trying to do over the next couple weeks, because USC, this USC team needs that to get over the hump. Do I think they're winning at Alton Stadium? No, I don't. But, you know, it's, it's sports. You can play it out. But I'm, not, I'm thinking they lose that game. But if they defend their home turf, which is certainly possible, then they're going to the Pac-12 title game. So, yeah, there's still a very clear path for USC. And they need to, to to come out, beat Utah, which they should, um, given the fact that Rising isn't playing. If USC plays a smart football game, doesn't kill themselves, they should end up victorious at home. You do what you should do against Cal. And the whole thing comes down to Washington, you know. Um, and I think that there's a there's a chance they could beat Washington. Washington's not unbeatable, and it's in the Coliseum. And they have, they have Caleb Williams, so... Yeah, I, I think there's. It's gonna be really fascinating to see how this team responds and how the fans respond.
0: That was impassioned. Did, did Lincoln coach on any of those comments about filling the collie up? Because it could have come straight from his mouth.
1: <laughs> well, that's what I want to see. That's you know, covering college football in LA. Like that's that's what you want to see. You know, for sure. It, it's and that's what it should be. And I do think Lincoln. You can have your frustrations with him right now about Alex Grant or or whatever, but. He's done enough to get people into those seats for this stretch of games. And if he hasn't, then USC, you know, needs to ask, starts asking questions about itself.
0: Well said, well said. And, and I agree with you. I think they absolutely still have a chance to get in that Pac-12 championship game. And uh, I think you laid out the course for it uh, perfectly. Went at home and that should do it. Last thing, Brady, before I let you go, I know you got to run. Heisman, Heisman talk is – is is there a path still for Caleb, or do you think it ended Saturday?
1: Absolutely a path. Heisman's are one in November. Um, he can start that process with a with a good showing against Utah. Clean up those turnovers. Look polished. Look crisp. Don't don't beat your team. Start there. Get your confidence back. And yeah, then you've got you know Phoenix on on your on your turf. Mono a mono and Bo nicks the next week and there's every opportunity for Caleb um so so yeah this this is not this is not over for him if anything you know you could you could write plenty of narratives if he pulls something off uh about you know kind of seeing newfound resilience in the kids so um well we're definitely going to see a lot more of what Caleb is is made of and I think he's I think he's a lot grittier and a lot tougher than people assume
0: Yep, in general, we're going to find out that maybe the reactions to last Saturday were a bit overblown in a number of ways, and that it wasn't uh, the absolute end of, of uh, all things good at USC. We'll see where it goes. Brady, love, love having you on. Thanks for your time. Great perspective. We'll talk soon. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Next, we have two different segments with the same guest. We're trying new things here. Okay, returning to the podcast after uh, leaving quite an impression last year on their subscribers and I think stirring the pot a little bit, Alex Markham from Nation to give us the insight on the other side of the matchup. Alex, thanks for being back with us. How you doing?
2: I'm good, Ryan, man. Thanks for having me it's uh, it's i'm i'm looking forward to this game man and you know like we were talking about on another podcast yesterday Yeah, I I'm just it, it sucks to uh, it sucks to see this game kind of go by the wayside pretty soon
0: here i know that at the top of the show alex and I did the podcast for his site uh the previous day and i'm going to run that in full after this interview so you'll hear our discussion which was a lot of me talking about usc and that side of the matchup and you'll hear him now talking about the utah side of things and And we did talk about this being the last one for who knows how long, and I know that how there hasn't been a lot of nostalgia on the u s c side about it. What are the youth fans feeling about getting one last crack at u s c for the foreseeable future
2: you know it's it's interesting right because i mean I, I would stop short of calling it a rivalry um it's, it's definitely not that, but had you given this game say like five more years of? of competitive play. Um, who, who knows what it could have turned into, you know, and, and, you know, Utah is not stupid. They, they know that, you know, for years, this conference has ran through USC and, and Utah's had success lately and they've done it and, you know, accomplished it against USC. And so, um, you know, Utah owes a lot to this conference. They, they owe a lot to the fun matchups they've had with USC, which, Hasn't always gone Utah's way, you know, Um, and so it's 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 bittersweet, man. It's it's really it's you know, it's it's one of those that when when USC and UCLA ended up saying that they were leaving for the Big Ten, you know, Utah just kind of sat back and said, you know, okay, well, we'll deal with uh, we'll deal with the Pac-12 for a few years and, and go from there and and, you know, hopefully pretty soon here when you know when the when the leaks get bigger Utah and USC are back in it again hopefully that's still the case right but now just with all like the craziness that it that had happened a few months ago it's uh it's it's delayed for a while even even longer now so USC USC is in a good spot Utah's uh, I hesitate to call the big 12 a good spot going forward but you know they're uh, they're in a stable conference at least
0: yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, this is the last one for a long time. Once again, great stakes uh, at play Saturday. Obviously, USC badly needing a, a response after the loss in Notre Dame. Utah, as always, right in the thick of things. But let's start with the, uh, the obvious question. Do, do we have some finality on the Cam Rising situation for this week?
2: um nothing yet you know i was i was gonna try to do some digging actually right right before we jumped on this call and then got then got sidetracked but i'll tell you i um you know just from some conversation that i had earlier in the week um it'll be a pleasant surprise if he plays but you know everybody's just kind of it's it's hit the point where When it happens, it happens and nobody's kind of just sitting on the edge, on the edge of their seat anymore. Um, you know, so Utah, Utah could surprise everybody. I mean, Cam has been practicing. I know Cam has been looking good in practice. Um, but there's still that final hurdle that he needs to get cleared by a surgeon. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of confusion, you know, for quite a while now. And it's, it's been really unfair to Cam, right? Um, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, I, I don't wanna say that Whittingham did things wrong, but, you know, there were some things within the communication with the media that he could have handled a little differently. Um, but at the same time too, you know, when you ask the question as as much as you are, you know, your your words aren't always gonna line up with each other. And so uh it's it's been taxing. I know everybody wants to see him play. Um, you know I, again like he feels he feels good enough to be able to be out there but he's also got to he's also got to listen to that surgeon and so you know utah's hope and prayer could be that he gets out there this week and and you know ten days later you know from the last time he's he's finally cleared by the surgeon i just i'm not i'm not going to count on it
0: how much has the complexion of this offense, this team, changed by not having him as the on-field leader this year?
2: Oh, it's... I, I don't want to say it's bad, but it's it hasn't been fun for the fans. It hasn't been fun for the coaches. It hasn't been fun for the team, you know? um, You know, you, you add on to the fact that they've just had so many key injuries, a lot of them fluke injuries, right, that uh, you can... It doesn't, it doesn't matter how good Bryson Barnes or Nate Johnson could have been throughout the season with those two rotating the quarterback. Uh, you know, there's just – the weapons just haven't been there like they would be for somebody like a Cam Rising that can just take this offense and elevate it, right? Um, you know, that's another thing that we had talked about where it's just – he doesn't just elevate the offense um, and make them potent and make them dangerous. He, he elevates the defense too just by his – by his presence and just how how guys rally around him. So the fact that Utah's only lost one game, it's it's been pretty damn impressive. But at the same time, too, it it hasn't been because of the offense. It's it's been because of a very stingy you know, Kyle Whittingham and, and Morgan Scali defense. You know the the defense that the Pac-12 has come to know and absolutely dread.
0: Well, USC fans know all about relying on a sturdy defense weekend and week. In. No, I'm sorry. That's not, not, not the case. That's not the case. <laughs>
2: Grinch is doing great for you guys, man. Come on now. Come on now, fans. They had
0: a, they had a great game last week. Great performance defensively. Um,
2: hey, hey, last, last week, you know what? They, they've played better the last couple of weeks. The offense just, you know. it's it's i don't even know how to explain it man it's uh you know they they came up clutch when they needed to come up clutch if uh you know a couple weeks ago and then last week i mean the offense didn't do them any favors but you know it's it's one of those things with you know like i had been saying with with utah's defense you know for instance you know just shoe on the other foot with usc's offense right is that you know utah's defense couldn't carry utah um couldn't carry Utah all the way throughout the year, right? The the other side had to step up and, and come through on some games, and the defense isn't always going to have top of the line performances. USC's offense didn't have a top of the line performance last week, right? You know, so it's just I noticed that you got to have both sides working.
0: Tell us about Bryson Barnes uh, last week in the win over Cal: passes for 128, rushes for 50, and a score. What does he bring to the table?
2: Game manager. Um, Really, I mean, that's, I I wish that I could have all these great things to say about Bryson Barnes to, you know, boost Ute fans' confidence and and make USC fans worry, but uh, he's not somebody that's going to strike fear into the Trojans. Uh, USC gets up on, on him by, I'd say, like 10 points, um, he's not going to have an easy time bringing this team back, you know, hence why why I talk about game manager. Um, he if, if he doesn't think and just reacts, he can be a good quarterback. That's the issue, though, is he overthinks. Um, he oftentimes tries to make the difficult throw or he tries to process through all of his reads when the first or second read would have been open and gotten plenty of yards after the catch right so to me he he makes things more difficult for himself is is it in him to be a good quarterback and have a huge game yes but he's you know again just got to not think and just react and i just
0: don't know that he has that in him well, in, t- in terms of his weapons, with Dalton Kincaid in the NFL and Thomas Yasmin injured, who is the tight end that's going to uh, cause USC fans nightmares this week?
2: Oh, man, it's, it's bad, man, because um, because you know Yasmin ends up tearing apart USC last year, right? And they're expecting big things out of him. Well, Utah's quarterbacks haven't figured out how to throw the ball to the tight ends this year. He finally has a big game. Uh, I, and I wouldn't even call it a big game. He, he finally had a, a nice, long touchdown reception against Oregon State. Well, he had gotten injured right before that. Next thing you know, they're finding out he's out for the season. So really, um, they're, they're digging deep now. They've got a tight end, Landon King, who has a lot of potential. He's a transfer from Auburn. Um, he's 6'6", 225, so he's definitely light. He's more of a wide receiver built. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not really going to see USC get killed from the, from the tight end position this week. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's going to be, they'll, they'll go to Devon Vele still. You know, he's, he's a bigger wide receiver. I mean, you're, you're familiar with him, right? But, uh, but definitely, definitely not tight end build. Um, you know, and then, uh, Mikey Matthews, who is, a stud in the slot for Utah. He's he's got a he's got a bright future, um, as well as Money Parks, who also burned USC in the, in the championship game. But at the same time, too, he's had some big plays and then still just not been utilized as much as you think that they would with the plays that he's made.
0: In terms of the running backs, uh, everyone knows JaQuindon Jackson. He's put up some stats so far, but last week it was is it Sione Vaki? Is that how you pronounce it?
2: Yes, yeah, Vaki, man. He um, converted
0: safety. Am, am I seeing that correctly?
2: Yeah. Well, he's he's kind of he's kind of pulling the Travis Hunter um, mode right now. Okay. You know? So he uh he's, he's not he's not seeing the same amount of snaps as Travis Hunter. Um, you know, but at the same time too, when he's been in, they've maximized him and utilized him. And uh, you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, you know, if last week just caught Cal off guard or if he's going to be that effective because um, he really kind of stepped in and filled this void that Utah lost when Makai um, Bernard had a freak injury off the field and, and was ruled out for the season. Um, and so Utah was really looking forward to um, that running back combo with Bernard and Jackson, and you know Jackson hasn't even really been able to stay healthy. Last week was his first full game healthy. And he's still putting up, he's still putting up really good yards per carry numbers. So the hope is that that combo can really carry them and keep USC off the field and you know just hit hit some big plays here and there. It's uh it's definitely not the Utah offense that um, USC would have been familiar with the last year two years.
0: Well, nonetheless, impressive last week: fifteen carries for 158 yards and two touchdowns. So definitely a guy to uh, to keep in mind in this matchup. Okay, let's talk about this defense. I'm just going to run through the national rankings for some of the categories. The Utes are fifth in scoring defense, 12.2 points per game. Ninth in total defense, 277.8 yards. Second in rush defense, 66.83 yards per game. Let's start uh, broad and we can get more specific. What's made that unit so special this year?
2: You know, they have honestly been hit by injuries just as bad as the offense. Um, the crazy and scary thing for everybody that faces them, though, is that their depth is just absolutely insane. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, so the front seven, um, is, you know, good luck finding, uh, good luck finding. More than a handful of front sevens in the country that are, that are as good as them, right? And then you, you take a, you take a look at the depth within all that too. Um, I, I mean, I, I would, I would venture a guess to say Utah is probably the most stacked in the entire country along the front seven, which says something, right? Because I mean, the SEC's got some good defenses. Um, Safety-wise, Cole Bishop, Sione Vaki really held it down. I mean, Cole's one of those guys that's going to be on all-American lists um, by the end of the year. He's unfortunately going to be having to sit out the first half of the USC game. It was a really questionable targeting call. But Utah will have this kid, Nate Ritchie, that should be able to fill in for him just fine. The kid started, Ritchie started as a, as a true freshman back in 2020 before going on his mission. But... Vaki has really kind of rounded out that uh, back end of the secondary and uh, been. Everybody knew he was going to be good, but he's been a really pleasant surprise. He's really becoming one of the top safeties around. And guy hits like a missile. He's fast as hell. You know that's one of the reasons why they gave him a shot at, at running back, and it's paying off. You know, just like we were just talking about. Um, Utah's Utah's one area that I have a little bit of concern is definitely cornerback they're not as solid there as they have been the last five or so years. They've got talent, but, um, I just see them being susceptible to, you know, you and me have talked about how a lot of Caleb's big plays have been when he's had to improvise and kind of run around and, and, you know, and then one of the wide receivers breaks loose, you know? so that's, that's, that's the one concern I have with this game, everything else to this defense, man. Um, they're tough. They are so, so tough, and they keep they keep losing guys, and you know they just next man up, and they're just as dominant. It's honestly been pretty fun to watch and crazy to see.
0: Well, with the defensive front that stout, going against an offensive line coming off such a bad performance at Notre Dame, one would uh, connect the dots there and think that, that might be a pretty pivotal determining factor in how this game goes yet we did predictions on the first podcast interview and and you picked usc to win how do you think the trojans overcome that uh bad matchup up front
2: yeah yeah i mean look caleb williams is gonna get to know jonah jonah ellis really well that guy's gonna be a nightmare for caleb but um you know it's gonna i i can't remember where i saw this but um, Caleb has a pretty high completion percentage if he gets the ball out within around two seconds, right? Um, if he can focus on that with, um, you know, knowing that the pressure's coming, getting rid of the ball, you know, to that extent, um, I think Utah's, I think Utah's gonna struggle. You know, you add into the fact of, I've kind of talked with you about that, that new clock rule too. Um, I think that that is a detriment to Utah's secondary and especially when it's going up against an offense like this. Um, you know, but from there, I mean, look, the last few years, yeah, Utah's had a really solid defense, but USC still hit big plays on them. So really what it comes down to it is, Utah's defense is gonna have another nice game. UFC is gonna get some big plays. But Utah's offense, just in my mind, unless it's Cam rising, they they can't they can't keep up with it, you know? And so that that's gonna be the biggest issue. That's honestly yesterday why I had said to you, I'm taking UFC 37-27 3720, um, in this game.
0: Good deal. Uh, to hear my prediction you'll have to listen to the second part of our conversation which was actually the first part of our conversation but it's coming up next on this podcast and it, we had a great talk yesterday I'm going to play it in full and it'll fill in all the other pieces uh, that we didn't cover here in the last 15 or 20 minutes but Alex thanks for coming on again and uh, great to do this twice this
2: week always Ryan thanks for having me man appreciate you this episode it's it's a fun one right I got, I got my guy Ryan Young here with the, with the USC site, Trojansports.com. Ryan, how are you, man? Doing great, Alex. Good to see you, buddy. Good. Always good to see you, man. Always fun conversations, too. Always fun banners, as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm due for one more Salt Lake trip at some point. <laughs> oh, dude, we, we got to make it happen, man. we got to make it happen. Basketball season. Basketball? There,
0: there you go, man. So- I get asked every week uh, how USC fans, the players, feel about the last run through the Pac-12 and I don't think they're very nostalgic about it, but I am. Like, I'm, I'm, like, going, this is my last time going to Boulder. This is my last time going here. I'm, I'm going to
2: miss all these towns. Yeah, I, I was actually going to be asking you about that in a minute in a, in a minute here, man. So we'll dive deeper on that in a second because it's yeah. so real, right? But, uh, hey, um, so I want to have a little fun with you. And uh, do you remember the, the thing that you did in the two games last year at certain points in the game that uh, – may have or may not have jinxed the trojans what i did mm, i don't <laughs> remind me <laughs> Dude, those, those text messages man oh. those text messages during the game uh, yeah. yeah yeah i i i don't know if i i don't know if i told you this um at the at the end of the championship game man but when uh, when you sent me like one or two of those texts um <laughs> right before utah started making their run i I, I, I handed the, the phone over to my to my writer, Haley, that was uh, up in the booth with me, and she looks and she's like, oh, God, he's going to do it again, isn't he?
0: <laughs> I have notorious timing in that regard. I, I do it on a message board all the time. And I, I, it's, it's a known jinx. So uh, in hindsight, I was probably partly responsible for that
2: outcome. Yes. <laughs> hey, you know what, though? I'll, I'll tell you the other thing, too. Like I, I know that you said that you guys were giving me a lot of crap last year for – uh, you know, saying how that Pac-12 championship game was going to go, right? And then how you said, like, oh my god, everything he said is happening, you know? You respond. spot on. You were spot oh, on. God. Dude, I- I'll tell you what, I have no damn clue how to feel or what's going to happen this year, man. And it's just because of all those damn Utah injuries. And and you just you don't know what you're getting with this USC team because, you know, the previous weeks, but now all of a sudden you got a pissed off USC team that you know, are are they going to right the ship, or are they going to continue showing those flaws that were kind of apparent, and that was one of the reasons why they were kind of tumbling down the rankings the last few weeks, you know? No, that's the point exactly. We don't know what this USC team is now, and I,
0: you know, everyone, I guess, thought they did. I mean, I, I, there were people who were worried after the last few weeks before another day, There were cracks showing. People were worried where it was going because they hadn't played anybody tough yet. All their tough games were backloaded the second half of the schedule, which is going to be a brutal stretch for them. So yeah. they could they could look off against Arizona State and still win by two scores. They could look off at Colorado and still avoid collapse. Even the Arizona triple overtime game, you could still point to the offense. Harbor hopes that the defense would get better and think that, that, that they were at a certain level, and then Notre Dame comes and they just. The offensive line disintegrated it just fell apart and that's become even more of a concern than the defense now and so you have two major question marks on both sides of the ball where you didn't expect to question the offense but now you have to and i wouldn't feel comfortable predicting anything about this team the rest of the way until i see them play this week and the next week and start to get a, a fresh evaluation on them
2: yeah absolutely 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 I'm gonna ask you another question on that, kind of a broad one for the conference in a second here, right? But you know, kind of getting back to what what we were talking about, how surreal it is, man. It's you know such a storied conference, and and obviously you, um, USC has been such a linchpin to this conference for so many years. The stories, the prestige, you know, the the history, just everything, right? You know, how surreal is it that this is this is it, man? It, it feels weird.
0: I expected there to be a lot more talk about it all this year, and it just has not been a storyline on this end. Uh, and I think that because the overwhelming sentiment when, when they surprised everyone and made that Big Ten announcement a year and a half ago, there was there were no fans that were like clinging to the past or the, or the present. Everyone was like, "We've we've outgrown the Pac-12. This is great. We're we're in one of the major conferences, one of the two, you know, major major conferences." This is where we're supposed to be. And that's been the sentiment ever since then. And so there just really hasn't been any lament or regret, especially when UCLA is making the moves. That rivalry stays in place. The Notre Dame rivalry will stay in place. So, from a USC perspective, they're not losing a ton. Now, this Utah series has been uber interesting the last half decade or more. And there are other matchups, you know. They played Cal forever, and that's going to go away. Stanford, etc. So, so there is, there are sacrifices, but I just think that everyone's mindset moved forward so long ago. While the rest, rest of the Pac twelve disintegration is kind of fresh in the summer for USC, it's been a year and a half, and everyone's minds been on the future in the Big Ten. That that just there hasn't been that nostalgic uh, final lap around it that I even expected there would be.
2: Yeah. You know, it's it's crazy, right? Because you know, had had this conference stay together another five years. I mean, the way that Utah and USC had been amping up against each other. I mean, you're looking at something that was almost about to be a budding rivalry, right? Now it's just completely gone by the wayside. It's it's been one of the absolute funnest. uh, battles to watch on on the West Coast. I, I know that you wouldn't call it a rivalry, right? I know I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a rivalry, but it's Utah's had that weird situation, right, where you know jumping into that new league and it's like everybody tried shoving down the Rumble <laughs> in the Rockies, right? And it just it didn't fit, you know. And then and then stuff like you know USC and Oregon kind of fit into that. And Utah and, Utah and Oregon is a lot more friendly rivalry. Utah and USC just kind of has. A lot more of that—I I don't know—just just interesting blood and, and adrenaline to it, man. Uh, so yeah, it's it's it sucks to see it go, but
0: uh... I, I totally agree. I, I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but it's something. Now, I don't know what the word is for it. But Utah and Oregon have been kind of the, the teams in the way for USC for a long time now, and every one of those games has felt huge, and so that that's something. All right? It's not a rivalry because it's not it's not decades and decades and decades of. Of history, but it, it's something. And yeah, it, it is It is unfortunate that it's going away. And there probably won't be room for a non conference game anytime in the near
2: future. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say this I, I do think that Utah and USC will see each other eventually, pretty soon in the near future. I know Kyle Whittingham's talked about how it's still an ever changing landscape constantly. Um, you know, Utah got a lot of grief for holding out for so long on the Big 12. But at the same time too, had, had Colorado not made the move that they did, you know, Utah is sitting in a decent conference for the next few years, you know, holding it down. Sure. It's one of the heavyweights. And then, you know, it, it was very real that from that point on, with that expansion from there, Utah could be included in, you know, one of the one of the bigger power conferences that everybody's calling it, right? You know, I, I know Big Twelve was trying to be that way. I wouldn't classify it as that. Right. You know, but uh, so before kicking into some of the game stuff, man, uh, you know, we're talking about the Pac-12. Is this the year that a team from the Pac-12 gets back to the college football playoffs? And I'm going to put you on the spot, man, because, I mean, look, Utah is, Utah is close to the top 10 again. They've only got one loss. I'm not going to pick Utah to be that team. Who's Who's that team to you? I think it's Washington. Uh, I think the winner of that Washington Oregon game was going was to be the team. I
0: think those are the two best teams in the conference, uh, just in terms of both sides of the ball, well rounded. Right. And, and and that game to me was you can't you can't call it a, a playoff game because there's more to happen after that. But it, it was the game to decide who was going to have the best chance to make the CFP. And and I really do believe that a Pac-12 team will get in there. I mean, if, and they can even afford a loss at this point. That they're an eleven one Washington team with with some great wins along the way, and uh, right. with how well-regarded the Pac-12 is this year, uh, things can be hard to keep out. So we'll take, we'll take some true Pac-12 carnage uh, the rest of the way, uh, the teams beating each other up for the conference to get left out in this final year. I think it's kind of fitting to go out on top that way. And just imagine if, if the TV contract thing had been six months later or, or a year later, and you had the buzz around the conference right now. You had the buzz around
2: Colorado and Deion Sanders. They, pr- they probably could have salvaged this thing even without USC and UCLA. Agreed. Agreed. Honestly, man, it was, it was pretty crazy because it's like, you know, the day that everything fell apart, you know, I'm getting messages like, oh, my God, they just saved the conference. Right. And then not even an hour later, everything just yeah. fell to absolute shit. Excuse my language. It was just it was shocking. It's, it's your was show. Just so shocking. <laughs> I know. Right. I know. Hey. What I say goes, I guess, but uh, yeah. hey, so you, you mentioned, you, you kind of mentioned how alarming the Notre Dame loss was, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I won't have you dive more into that, but how should USC fans adjust their expectations now? Not just from that game, but like we were talking about, I mean, the last few weeks, I mean, they've trended backwards in, in, in the polls, in the rankings. It was, it was pretty plain to see that something like this was coming. Yeah,
0: how should they adjust? Probably somewhere in the middle ground between where they have adjusted to. I mean, there's a straight at, you know, panic. They're not even panic, just a white flag being raised on on our board from our, our subscribers saying, oh, this team's going to go 6-6 six and six now. They can lose the rest of the games. They're going to lose at least five games. Uh, and I just don't see it like that. You're never as bad as your worst game. Just like they weren't the same team that went up 49-3 on Stanford in the first half. Um, you know, there's, there's an in-between always. And Notre Dame, I, I'm pretty sure, will be the nadir for this team. You, you won't see them look worse on the field on Saturday than that. They could definitely still lose some more games the rest of the way, but not just totally listless and, and dominated on Saturday. So I, I think you adjust by thinking uh, whatever CFP hopes you had during the year are much more of a long shot now. Not dead yet, but much more of a long shot. Pac-12 hopes much more of a long shot. This is probably uh,
2: two or three lost team. Probably three lost team. Sure. know, yeah. So next thing to talk about, um, good old Caleb Williams, man, Mister Mister yeah. Heisman, right? You know, I I know you fans kind of have their feelings. You, and opinions you fans love Caleb. Williams. They 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 took the they took the Nell thing and ran with it, which you gotta admit that that was epic when they when they photoshopped that but uh, the the Utah uh, graphic was very well played very well played
0: the the, the overall reaction to that though I thought was was a little over the top it wasn't it was it was a message to himself it wasn't like he was uh, you know intending for that to be in the face of of Utah fans he probably should have known the camera would zoom in and get that but I mean that's that's just a a guy amping himself up for a game against a, a team that he had lost to and and uh, whatever. So that was always overblown in my mind. But yes, it was It was well played uh, on the back end by, by Utah Twitter. Sure.
2: So, you know, the, the thing I wanted to ask you about it, and it's kind of interesting how, how you touched on that, because uh, what I was going to respond to that there is, uh, you know, we're where have you seen the most growth in caleb williams this year and i i want to answer that from my end from my perspective first because please i i know i know that you and me have kind of talked about it a little bit and i've talked with this on on twitter and to some usc fans okay but uh i've really seen a growth in his maturity I, i think a lot of you fans have too i i know that you know usc fans constantly have just said well go back and look at his interviews, look at this, look at that, look at these articles. He's, he's a standout kid. But just how he conducts himself on the field, you know, he still has that confidence about him. Um, but to me, the arrogance that I kind of saw to an extent last year, and USC fans might want to deck me for saying that, I, I don't see it as much this year and he's that much more of a joy to watch just because he knows, he, he's, he knows he's good, he plays football, and he has fun doing it. I would agree that there's a more business-like approach on his end.
0: Uh, I think that's definitely fair to say. Um, I've been asked this question like every week, and I I don't have a great answer about his actual game because until last week, he was pretty much the same guy as last year. A couple halves, he wasn't as sharp as, as the rest of the time, but it was pretty imperceptible, the difference from last year. And we heard it all preseason. Lincoln Riley must have been asked eight dozen times, can Caleb get better this year? How can he improve? And he would always go, "Yeah, you guys might, may not believe it, but he can get better in a lot of areas. Like there are a lot of things we're working on. He's not a polished, fully really polished player yet." And everyone would just kind of go, "Oh, all right." But if he's taking strides in those areas, it's 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 not for my untrained eye to see. It's it's uh, imperceptible to the average viewer. The, the one difference in his game is he's not running as much, and. He even made a revealing comment after the Arizona game when he, he finally kind of put the team on his back in the second half and started just taking off and scrambling for gains to get them going. And I asked him, I said, like, you know, what's, what sparked that? What flipped what, the switch for you? And he said, he goes, I don't like to run. I don't want to run. And that's mm-hmm. the first time we've heard him say that. Like, and if, if you look back on the season, it makes a lot more sense because he really has not been as aggressive in that way as he was last year and we didn't get to really follow up on it, but I wonder if, if part of it was the hamstring injury and not wanting to do something like that again. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just guessing. But if there's a difference in him, it's that he's, he's taking off running a lot less uh, often and pretty much only when things get dire, and that's the best course of action for this offense.
2: For sure. I'll, I'll say the, the one thing I have noticed, too, where he's maybe regressed a little bit, and, you know I you could probably I mean you you've watched you've analyzed the USc games a lot more than me I've watched the majority of them this year right but uh you know his 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 fumbling and and you know his his interceptions are much more extreme than they were even a year ago I, I would assume that plenty of that has to do with the protection that he's that he's getting from the line but you know probably. that's that's an area of, of weakness right right now for you guys
0: well to be fair, he only had one pick before last week. So he threw three in the first half in Notre Dame. Clearly his worst game of his college career. Which he's, That's a good point, uh, actually. Yeah. He, he, he's framed it the same way. Uh, but yeah, there, there have been some, some more fumbles. It, the O-line is just different than last year. It, just, it was, I think we glossed over how much they had to replace there and just assumed, oh, they got this guy from the portal, and this guy from the portal, this guy from the portal. It's going to be the same thing as last year. These are all veteran guys. It's just going to be the same thing. And the reality is, last year's unit, all those guys have played together, all but one, uh, for several years, and I think we discounted how valuable that ultimately was. And and this unit has just seemed disjointed. They've been, they've been, like we we have a guy who breaks down the O line play every week and scrutinizes every play, and he's constantly noting how looks like guys don't know where they're supposed to be on double teams or where they're they're going to the wrong spot. and and not picking up the the right uh, block. And I think that's stuff that you get when you have five guys who didn't play together last year. And everyone from last year is in the new spot or different. So even the guys who are back are in a different position, and the rest of the positions are new guys, and it just has not gelled the way we thought it would. It's getting worse the last few weeks, and he was under constant arrest in that game. Initially, I don't know how much stock you or your – your uh, people putting PFF stats, but the day after that game, they had Notre Dame down for 34 pressures, which is like the most that I've ever seen in a game. It's adjusted at it the 20, but you could have told me it was 60 and I would have believed it because it felt like every snap he had someone in his face who was on the move. And all three of his interceptions were some byproduct of the pressure. They think they were bad throws too. No excuse on the throws, but he has not had the comfort he had last year. And, in fact, the best moments this season have been scramble drill stuff for him, where he's gotten out, bought a few extra seconds, and and either Taz Washington or Brendan Rice gets open downfield for a long game. It's scary when he does that. Yeah, I would say 85% of their explosive plays downfield have been freelancing scramble drill, uh, not how it was designed. So he's been able to kind of mask over a lot of the issues in that way. But it was just relentless on Saturday night and, Saturday and then just every every single snap felt like he was immediately on the run or with a guy in his face. So, if if he's a little bit off from last year, that's a major factor for why.
2: For sure, you you, you said a few things there that I was actually wanting to kind of touch on in Let's in the it. next one, man. So, uh, dude, I I always love talking to you, man, because it's just it, it's easy conversation, dude. It just it all just flows. Always, right? always. Um, but uh, yeah, dude. So, you you mentioned PFF as one thing. You mentioned all the transfers as another. Okay. Um, there's there's a few things at play there. You know, during the off season, when USC fans would get excited about one of their new additions. You know, youth fans, not even just Ute fans, but other fans from conference teams would be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But how about the trenches, right? And then you know. USC would get a, you know, a guy from either side of the trenches and, you know, they, you know, the fans would gloat about it. It's like, okay, that's great. Yeah, you guys got good depth, but you don't understand it's going to take time to gel or there's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not just about the, it's not just about the four or five star talent. It's, it's about the culture. Right. And, And all those things. And that, and those are kind of some of the things that I'm seeing play out a little bit, you know, Maybe offensive line wise, but definitely defensive. Okay, um, one of my guys. We so we have a we have a statistical podcast that we do, um, and one of the guys that just mentioned. You know, it's crazy because PFF loves the USC guys individually and everything, right? And uh, but when you look at like the the regular statistics that most you know everyday fan looks at. I mean, USC's defense, it's its bad, man. Like, there are so many categories, so many key categories that they're, like, upper 80s on up to around 100 in. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, So, with that, I mean, USC's offense did not have a good game last week. You know, USC's defense has had their moments. But at the same time, too, man, that is the weak link for this team. So I would love to hear whatever assessment you want to give on that defense. Boy, where, where do I start? Well, um, okay.
0: <laughs> There's <laughs> lots of cover there. It's been yeah. Bad. Right? It's been bad. And it's been a cloud hanging over the, everything just because the sentiment was already against Alex Grinch entering the season. Most of the fan base had already levied their verdict. had already decided he shouldn't have come back. And, Lincoln Riley made this quote last week, and it didn't go over well with fans, but he basically said that everyone was ready to to pounce on the first thing that went wrong and say, oh, you should have made this change, you should have done that. And it's true. I mean, whether or not the fans are wrong or not is a different story. Um, It may be the right reaction, but it's true that anything that goes slightly wrong is just going to be a a negative narrative on the outside. So that's really just hovered over everything to, to the point where after the um, after the Arizona game I asked no one had asked about the defense and they had given up over 200 yards and, and 17 points in Arizona's first three drives so they had a pretty big impact on why the game was the way it was and so the last question of Riley I asked very open-ended non-leading I just said what was your assessment of the defense tonight and where it stands halfway through the season Caleb Williams rolls his eyes, tilts his head back, tilts his head down, and he's just stewing and waiting to chime in. So, so Lincoln answers it, and then Caleb chimes in. And he could tell it wasn't even about my question. It was just the boiling over point. Yeah, that He was so tired of this defensive talk narrative, and, and the whole team is. And that's kind of what they've been dealing with. And they've, until the last week, not done much to help themselves in that regard. So why has it been that way? Uh, the defensive front is better. It's much better. Uh, it's more talented. It's deeper. I mean, they had almost zero interior defensive line depth last year. Almost zero. Yeah. It's much different this year with Barry Alexander, the five-star transfer from Georgia, Keon Bars from Arizona, Jack Sullivan from Purdue. He's not playing a whole lot of snaps, but he's a veteran guy. And so on. Uh, they lost the nation's leading sack leader, Tully Piloto in the NFL. They didn't replace him in a one-for-one trade in terms of talent, but they got a nice bevy of pass rushers. And
2: You're doing we- well with getting pressure.
0: Oh, yes, yeah, so, so I'll, I'll boil it down. They're a very aggressive defense, and they're leaning on that as their strength. And when it works, it creates sacks and TFLs, which they were near the top of the national leaderboard in entering last week. When it doesn't work, it's because... It exposes the rest of the defense, which they're not a good tackling team still. They were better last week, and their secondary has not been good. It was better last week, but on the whole, those have been the weaknesses. And so if you're being so aggressive and sending so much pressure up front, you're really counting on guys making the first tackler making that tackle in space. Because if he gets beat, there's not enough help behind him to establish the play. Or you're counting on on your secondary, to win one-on-one, and they may not always have help over the top. And they and so where they've been bad is when either short passes turn into 40-yard gains due to one missed tackle, or they get beat on a, on a deep shot because their cornerbacks are largely unproven, aside from Christian Rowan Walls, uh, or they've sent so much pressure that there's just a massive lane wide open for, for a long run. And so it's been the same breakdowns as last year in a lot of ways, but it's a product of, of how they choose to play. They were a little more conservative against Notre Dame and not sending so much pressure and clearly trying to contain the run game. It's a different balance. It's kind of the first time we would seen them kind of skew more towards the conservative way, and we'll see if that sticks. And maybe it's a, it's a realization that they can't play the way they want to play because they're not a good enough tackling team, and they, they can't leave uh all their defensive backs one on one against
2: other talented receivers. So is there is there some fear just among people around USC that uh you know take it take it how it is, it's always gonna be that way that, you know, any Leak and Riley team is gonna have a great offense and you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to live with the defense potentially, you know, being you know the cause of not hitting that championship level every year? Well, there's definitely not acceptance of
0: that, but there is fear, yeah. And all of the outside criticism of Riley, I think I think the honeymoon period wore off over the last few weeks. And all the outside criticism people have been saying for years, just, just as you framed it, USC fans are now saying, yeah, they're right, this is a major problem. He hasn't evolved as a head coach, he doesn't know how to build defense, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think it's been, how should I say that? There's been a real, a real change in current toward the way he's viewed or talked about in the last few weeks. And, it may, and it's always hard to tell what percentage of a fan base is griping and talking because you only hear the vocal ones. And you don't know, are they, five, are they 5% of it? Are they 75% of it? You can never tell. But there's been a lot more questioning of Lincoln Riley in recent weeks and especially after the loss of Notre Dame saying is he the right guy for this can he ever build a defense can we get away from the mike leach tree of of coaches um that's that's a real mounting uh sentiment within the fans at least on our message board and i think it's gone way too far because the reality was i don't know any other hire they could have made at that time with where that program was that would have put them in the top ten and the CFP race in each of their first two years. So I, I think respect has been lost and just how bad things were that he inherited, and maybe it's not all the way fixed yet. And next year, I think fans need to brace themselves for the fact that the first Big Ten season is going to be tough.
2: It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. So, so this, uh, this is a, a longer
0: rebuild than maybe people expected after it started so, so fast, but the, the swinging sentiment against Riley has really surprised me because he, he failed this program out of out of the debts. I mean, he came in and, and, and saved it with a snap. I, I think they could have made a lot of other, other hires where they don't come close to these results the first two years. And that perspective is being lost in a big way because the fans got a taste of the potential, a taste of we're back in the CFP conversation, we're a national contender again. And to see it not live up to those
2: expectations has... Uh, I think cause people to forget just where it was less than two years ago. For sure. Dude, and I, and I know I told you at 20 to 25 minutes. Hey, nah, man. man hey, with, with, with you and me, man, I know it's never just a and a right? So, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So just a couple more questions here for you, man, and, I'll, and then I'll let you get on your way. I know it's been crazy the last couple of days here for you. So, uh, you know, you mentioned how USC sick of answering the questions about the defense, right? Well, Utah has been sick of answering the questions on the quarterbacks, right? And, uh, you know, at the same time, too, I mean, Kyle maybe could have handled the questions a little bit different at the start of the year just to ease expectations and so on, right? But I don't see, at this point in the week, I don't see Cam playing, okay? Um, which is too bad because just, you know, just the fun back and forth with him and, and USC and, and the battle with him and Caleb. It's it's been must see TV, right? Uh, I, I, I hope it, I hope it's different. I, I hope everybody sees Cam on on Saturday. but going with the train of thought that it's Utah's offense with Bryson Barnes, who I don't want to slam him, but I view him as more of a game manager right sure. um you know and then you know utah utah's lost a lot of their key guys right the, the guy that um was destroying you guys last year in the pac 12 championship game thomas Yasmin. he's they just announced him being out for the season now it's just it's one hit after another after another right but at the same time too going into this game what's your biggest concern for usc going against utah
0: I think it's it's the offensive line that's crumbling again, and the offense looking some version of them like it did last week. I don't think you'll see Caleb throw three picks again, but it, we still don't know if the defense can ever be the the reason why this team wins. Like it might have been last week if the offense had been better, but we'll never know. And that was the best they've looked. Can they sustain that? I don't know. I, I think the recipe still revolves around this offense being what it's supposed to be. And if the O-line just gets overrun up front, it's going to undo all that, and it's going to change the whole dynamics of the matchup for them. So I, that would be the, the main fear is can they hold up, can they protect Caleb, can the offense look like it's supposed to look and not like it looked in South Bend?
2: Uh, I'll say this, okay? if, if the defense wins this game for you, for, for USC, okay, uh, with what you're saying about the offensive line. I will flat out just tell USC fans right now, do not get unrealistic expectations on your defense because it's been such a patchwork offense for Utah. It's It's been really difficult to watch sometimes. Utah is, Utah is very fortunate that they have only one loss right now, that they've been able to do what they've been able to do because of... Because of their defense, right? You know, and so it's uh you know, Utah Utah's got Jaquin Jackson back, you know, if if they can run the ball solid and, you know, just get enough pressure on Caleb, then you know, Utah's in a good position. But it's still to me again, like you can't you can't leave this game with unrealistic expectations on USC's defense if you feel like USC's defense wins this game because with Bryson Barnes, if he gets down by more than ten points, I'd love to see him prove me wrong, but I just don't have this feeling that he can that he can lead Utah back from even ten points down. So that that's the one thing I will I'll I'll tell, I'll tell the fans. Tr- trust me, fair. trust me, there's nothing that the USC defense could do Saturday
0: that would change fans' opinion about Alex Grinch right now. It's, totally, <laughs> it's so ingrained. that they, they could pitch a shutout, and the USC fans would say exactly what you said, say, oh, it's because he didn't have a quarterback and it's because of this and this. They would give him no credit for,
2: for anything. So <laughs> no, no worry about fans getting overconfident about the defense. <laughs> for sure. Dude, so lastly, I mean, what, what's your prediction and, and why are you going with it? I hadn't held it on a score yet, which I should have known we were going to talk. You, 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 um, and me are both going to be on the spot on this because I honestly don't want say right now. I think uh, I think we see
0: some middle ground between last week's offense and where it normally is. I'll say USC thirty-eight to thirty-eight to thirty-one. Okay, and I, I know that's a lot of points for Utah offense. But I just, I can't ever, I can't see USC pulling away from this this Utah team. Just the way these matchups have gone, I think it's going to have to be somewhat close down to the stretch. And any less than 38 points would be pretty disappointing again for this offense. So
2: I'm
0: kind of basing it off that and not being fully convinced that the defense is better.
2: Yeah, well, when when we're done, I'll, I'll send you over. I mean, look, dude, like, you know, you, you mentioned the thing about the points. I, I'm with you that, you know, they can score more points than, than some are thinking because uh, one of my guys sent me a stat comparison of the, the defensive rankings between USC and Cal, and it's pretty crazy scary just how close USC is to Cal, and it's not in a good way. You know, and so, and so, yeah, you, you talk and put up the points. I mean, here, here's my thing, and you fans aren't going to like me on this. I mean, I, I got to go with the Trojans for numerous reasons, okay? Uh, one, it's going to be a revenge game for Caleb in, in two ways, right? It's, you know, yeah, he, he pretty much lost all hope of the Heisman last week. I'm sorry, USC fans, he, he did, you know, you can't, you can't lose a game like that, throw three interceptions and, and expect to win back to that guys. You, you just can't unless the others falter just as bad, right? Yeah. Um, you know. And then there's the revenge against Utah last year. You know, uh, two games where they start off so strong and then just tell off, and you know, and, and Utah wins them, right? So, so there's that. Uh, you know, just the whole, you know, overall USC team feeling of, of wanting that revenge as well. You know, but I just unless. Rising shows up on that field. Utah, I can't see Utah winning this game if if Cam plays. And I get that it's his first game back. I feel decent about Utah pulling it off because he just he makes that whole offense better. He just elevates everybody to a whole other level. And he and he, and he lists the and he lists the defense too. Just just from just from his nature, right? So and it's just was, from yeah. his leadership. It's just it's it's crazy to see. You know, and there's just been that element missing this year. Uh, I, I see it being 37-27, USC. Uh, you know, Utah just, you know. Uh, here's, here's one of my biggest concerns about Utah's defense, K. Okay? And it's and it's not like a knock on the position group by any means. But in a game like this with USC's passing game and the new rules with how the clock goes, you uh, I just see USC being able to hit a decent amount of, of deep shots against Utah's corners. I mean, they're they're good. They're not as good as they have been, but then at the same time, too, you throw in the mix. You know, again, you know, just how that clock goes. Any secondary right now is susceptible to that stuff, right? And you know, USC's USC's going to take their shots against Utah. You know, they they are. You know, it's 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 going to be tough to get a running game going against them. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, 37, 27, you fans are going to hate me, but we're, we pretty close, pretty close there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, just, uh, just send me another text message. Like, <laughs> in a, in <laughs> no, no, no. Second quarter. All right. No matter what the score is before halftime,
0: you're getting no text from me whatsoever. None. <laughs> not, hey, not if, not even if I, uh,
2: hit you up say, Hey, what's your feelings? Nope. I'll just wave to you across the <laughs> <desk>. <laughs> Oh, fun times. Hey dude, I always love talking with you, bro. It's it's always a good time. Likewise, bud. Always a good
0: time. And that's the show. Thank you as always. Thank you for listening. Thank you for patronizing Trojansports.com, being a part of our community. If you're not a part of our community, that's that's okay. That's okay. You can always change that. You can come on board. We have had we have had some lively discussions during the games this season i expect that saturday will be no different love our trojansports.com community love interacting with everybody on game days sign up join us and we'll get back on the podcast next week probably back with max brown next week breaking things down thank you